This is What Goddesses Watch, a film and TV podcast that takes a divinely badass dive into the feminine on screen. With me, Soma Ghosh, film critic and editor of the Demoted Goddess magazine. Hey, it's great to be with you today. During the appropriately feminine um, Storm Eunice, which is shaking the UK and especially uh, in the Welsh marches and the southwest of England, where I'm recording this, to uh, discuss two films for uh, a Watch Instead episode, um, both of which are tinged with the Gothic, so a stormy day is perfect to be uh, discussing these two tales. Um, we're putting together, as we do in, in, in Watch Instead, one independent film which has been a hit in the cinemas um, but isn't mainstream and, and represents a, a unique uh, feminist look at um, a film subject, Petite Maman by Celine Siama, and a film by the great Hungarian director Mata Mezeros, The Heiresses, uh, from 1980, both of which you can stream at Mubi.com. And so today we're going to be talking about Strange Mothers with these two films, Petite Maman and The Heiresses, in which you can see Isabelle Huppert in the story of two best friends who decide to have a baby together. One of them is a surrogate for another. And both of these films introduce different ways of looking at mothers from the conventional structure or the conventional perspective, whether it's the child looking at her mother in Petite Maman, or whether it's the two best friends in The Heiresses who decide that it's not biology that makes a mother, but the wanting, the desire to be a mother. And both films question this maternal instinct, the desire to be a mother, uh, as well as questions of genetics and belonging. Um, Petite Maman, I would say, is um, much more focused and withdrawn in its fairy tale setting in a wood and is pretty much a gothic short story with uncanny, um, beguiling, muted emotional intensity. Whereas The Heiresses plays out this question of what makes a mother, um, whether women can or should be mothers, um, even to each other within within friendships, and what the role of a man might be in parenthood, places all of that in a much more epic context in that it's set, it opens um, at the end of the 30s when fascism is rising, and then the friend's decision to have a baby together, and the love triangle that emerges as a result of that decision is engulfed by the Second World War. The friends in question are Irene, who is an artist who makes her money as a dressmaker and a shop girl, and her wealthy heiress friend, uh, Sylvia, um, played by Lily Minori, and Irene is played by Isabelle Huppert. This film has one of my favourite opening scenes when it comes to depicting female friendship. The scene opens in the cake counter of a 
um, gilded, beautiful Hungarian cafe, two veiled women meet as one of them, the wealthy Sylvia, is ordering opulent cake upon opulent cake. And the way that they look at each other and exchange their greetings, it's really hard to tell whether they uh, like each other, hate each other, um, they're, they're rivals or they're mere acquaintances. But as Irene takes her seat in the cafe and sits tensely at a, a perfectly laid linen table um, and watches Sylvia advance, it is as if she's waiting for an assignation with a lover. And then in the hidden smile that Sylvia releases after they've sat down together, it's quite clear that they are playing a little game and they are in fact bosom buddies. And the ambiguity of the sh different shades of feeling between girlfriends, the eroticism, the facilitating, the nurturing is rather beautifully done between these two friends, all the more so because of their differences. So Sylvia is a highly sexual, dynamic creature who makes things happen and who lives in a, a, an aristocratic, decadent, bohemian world that she shapes for herself and into which she's brought her lover, the wealthy officer, Akos. She's very dramatic. She, she claims that if she ever fell in love, she would take herself to the forest and, and die, already expressing there a certain... Um, death instinct connected to sex and love and the the, the being shackled to, to children that, that, that might come from that, perhaps. Irene, by contrast, played by Uper, is reticent, proud and sincere. And she's very much a golden, not passive, but uh, certainly uh, uh, at times, particularly in, in the first half hour of the film um, she certainly exudes uh, a milky innocence that's having to make a much harder way in the world than Sylvia um, but enters a world of even greater complications as Sylvia persuades her and Akos to have a baby together. She does this because she uh, needs to secure her fortune and the original title of this film in Hungarian is inheritance. Um, but in fact, she also claims to Akos that if they don't have a child together, she fears that he will hunger for one and that he will leave her. And again, there are these very interesting crossings of boundaries when it comes to belonging and owning uh, another person um, as the two friends increasingly melt into one another which is a theme that we will see again in, in Petite Maman um, but the, um, the tone of this film is particularly interesting I find it particularly um, riveting when it occupies this 
ambiguous, amorphous, uh, decadent, bohemian space, which is taken from Sylvia's own world, which is one of trans ballet dancers and um, uh, amateur makings of of films. The whole film is 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 lit with a a dusky lamplit realism. Um, uh, a a gilded and cold beauty that feels as if it's something from the past and at the same time is is full of um, sensuality and madness. Madness because there's the opportunity for an uh, a very profound interiority in this aristocratic setting of wealthy houses um with their labyrinthine rooms uh surrounded by forests and indeed uh Sylvia does start to become increasingly unstable as she senses the closeness between Irene and Akos it's Sylvia who has persuaded Akos and Irene to have sex and it's Sylvia who then attempts to insert Irene into her fashionable bohemian social set. But as fascism rises and the pregnancy proceeds, even as the two of them start to imitate how they wear their hair, how they dress, how they speak, uh, Sylvia starts to have a, a kind of ghost pregnancy in her attempt to validate herself as as a woman and and as a mother and as in fact the mother of this invention the the mother of this plan as a woman who is sterile and bohemian artistic and open-minded she's decided to throw open her marriage to try and create a child with her husband but as, um, as she succumbs to this ghost pregnancy, her anguish and her labour pain seem greater than Irene's. Um, Minori, as the character, writhes um, naked, sweaty, like an anemic wolf. There's something quite um, monstrous and disturbing about what is happening to her, what she has done to herself. And fittingly, as I'm recording this, an enormous storm is uh, sweeping and lashing away at the windows um, and at the world outside. Uh, Because this monstrousness of what's happening to Iran is being shadowed by the advance of fascism in the country. Um, And the film really uses that sense of enclosure uh, these these last few precious months to its great stylistic advantage Um, within this bubble of privilege the lighting um, is very much one of the sinister domestic um, shadowy golden rooms that become increasingly empty as friends uh, polyamorous parties and staff recede Meanwhile, Irene, who also happens to be Jewish, passes and is passed by the couple for Akos's wife as they retreat into the countryside as fascism rises and the pregnancy proceeds. 
But the real ghost in this machine of fertility and fatherland is represented by the singer of the hit pop song um, who comes to one of Sylvia's parties and whose song is reprised by an orchestra as a film's musical motif, plangent and exotic, a vision of sexually free, almost masculine femininity. And the film's climax and denouement moves from this bohemian operatic love triangle to uh, a film that's a period film that's more typical of social history and in my view a film that is um, less successful um, perhaps less interesting and that need to redeem and explain uh, motherhood I think is just pervasive to our culture partly because we're so attached to the idea of motherhood and this film here ends with Raising questions, if you like, of whether um, a woman's uh, sexual sterility is linked to her emotional sterility, her lack of compassion, whether um, if you have a child with somebody um, whom you find uh, attractive but who is not the love of your life, you will inevitably want to be with that person because you have a child together. Uh, we see um, a, a coming together of uh, very traditional ideas about um, sex and and parenting, um, which hitherto the film is kind of negotiated. Although I suppose it was kind of always always tending towards that point. Um, it really is so much more interesting and um, and uh, a very rewarding and absorbing watch, I think, because of this wordless sensual amity between the two friends and that question of um, what is what is a female body, um, how can you share a female body, whether that is um, mentally or erotically or for bearing children. Um, and although Monnery and Upper are um, at, at certain points um, quietly sublime in this um, unspoken oneness, you're also left wondering this feeling of needing to be one with another woman. How far is it foisted on us by society, by the use that is made of womanhood, by the positions that women are pushed into as mothers and wives, which means that they then need to turn to each other for comfort. And women or girls caring for each other is at the heart of Céline Siama's Petite Maman, which follows Nellie, an eight-year-old who has just lost her maternal grandmother and feels great regret at not having said goodbye to her properly because she didn't know it was the last time. Um, Nellie and her mother and father go to uh, the grandmother's house in a rural area surrounded by the woods. Nellie's mother, it seems at first, is oppressed by the, the grief of losing her mother, but it then emerges, possibly suffers from depression, and in the midst of packing up the house, uh, simply leaves um, overnight or early one morning. As 
Nellie's father is left to finish the job, Nellie goes out to play in the same woods in which her mother used to play as a child and uh, she's heard stories of and she digs these stories out of her mother and gets to hear about uh, a hut in the centre of the woods that her mother created, actually a little, um, a little den created out of fallen branches. And entering the wood, she finds uh, just such one hut and den in exactly the same place. And a little girl who looks remarkably like herself, although Nellie never comments on this, who introduces herself as Marion, which is the name of Nellie's mother. And as the two girls meet in the woods and play and wordlessly, again, as in the heiresses, form a bond, um, Nellie understands that this Marion is in fact her own mother. And this is confirmed by visiting Marion's house on the other side of the forest, which is a, a doppelganger for Nellie's own house. And I hope you can hear the rain and the wind that is battering this little recording attic of ours. Because the, the great success of this film, which has been critically acclaimed and is adored, I think it's fair to say that Celine Sciamma is, um, is, is, is pretty much uh, universally adored. Um, I don't necessarily share that worship, which we'll, which we'll come to, but, but I think what is most successful about this film is the suspended reality um, that is true to the suspended time and, and of, of grief, which can be um, a time of shock and recollection um, and a, a sense that uh, life, is, um, life isn't just a, a linear uh, progress, um, perhaps because the mind can't really hold the idea that it's a linear progress and then it ends. In this particular case, there is this Hansel and Gretel uh, feel to this story. The most successful part of the story is, uh, and it is, it is essentially um, a little gothic short story. And I think if you go into the film with those expectations, then you, you won't be disappointed. Um, and the real success of it is this sense of suspended time, deep in the forest, these two little girls with their furry, downy animality, um, lost in creating their own world and uh, the hut or den serves as a, a, a portal into time and yet there's no question in this story of matters of time loop um, consequences or effects which we might expect in a, a sci-fi film that, uh, that, that, that features time travel and part of that is because of the Seven, 1970s, 1980s aesthetic that uh, seeps into both spaces, which Siama is able to do because the uh, the domestic spaces, as in the heiresses, it's, it's isolated, it's away from the modern world. And so um, there's a, a charming scene and Siama is, is, is queen of, of, of quiet, charming domestic scenes in which Nellie helps to shave her father in a bathroom lined with blue circular geometric tiles. And those internal colours of um, 
of pale um, pale greens and ceramic turquoise uh, and um, flesh tones um, that, that slightly fuzzily lit world of the of the 70s and 80s which we we recollect from films and from photographs of the time is recreated here and, and, and plays out into the the natural world as well. And it's a Hansel and Gretel story in that you have two children who are lost in the woods. They come across a house and in that house is uh, uh, a crone, uh, which is the, the, the typical story, right, uh, who then tries to cannibalise them. In this case, Nellie is able to meet her grandmother, the grandmother whom she has lost at the beginning of the film, um, who is, of course, Marion, her mother's mother. And so there is, in fact, a, a reverse of the Hansel and Gretel story because the 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 hut, the den, the wood and, and, and the portal that it provides um, back to her grandmother is a, a wonderful gift returned. And I'm not going to say any more about what happens so that you can enjoy the uncanny world that Siama has created. And that is the, 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 the greatness um, of this movie, such as, such as it uh, possesses greatness. Uh, I have to say that half the, 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 the fun of the film is the weirdness of watching Nellie and Marion, who are played by the identical twins, Josephine and Gabrielle Sanz, but really look like the same person. And that kind of fusing together, the, 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 the merging of um, what we know and what we find is sustained throughout the film and if you uh, if you like the idea of a film which answers the question what would it be like if you could meet your uh, mother as a child then this is definitely one that will enchant you however for me um, it's a good short story but uh, lacks the psychological and emotional grounding to really bridge the surreal and the real that it occupies. On the one hand, everyone everyone speaks very softly and monotonously as, as those spellbound, which of course makes sense for a fairy tale that's set in the forest, but at the same time, the film is trying to occupy uh, a space of psychological reality addressing bereavement, depression, um, inheritance and, and the continuation of being, if you like. And perhaps it's when it tries to do that more explicitly, having uh, taken us into this, um, having cast the spell and taken us into this fairy tale world, that for me it, it it, it's, it slightly falls down um, and I found that, that there at times the, the calmness with which uh, a child receives um, startling information and news might be the calmness which you could say that children, um, in which children watch the world drifting by. Um, and so they're able to make these great leaps of imagination, which adults are not. 
Um, but yet at the same time, because Siama tries to resolve the question of the mother's depression and um, the, the the feelings of the little girl towards the, the grandmother um, or not, because that's also um, something that is that is dealt with 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 great and and charming calm. Um, it feels uh, emotionally and psychologically for me um, slightly uh, underpowered. Um, the children's one of the most interesting um, aspects of this creating your own world, which of course is something that uh, friends give us license to do, don't they? That when we are alone with our friends, we have a companion in the pretending. Uh, the two girls pretend to be in a noir detective mystery, um, which is a, a wonderful episode or strand, as it's a way of pretending to be adult. Um, and if you like, Siam is having some fun here, putting one genre, the noir, within another genre of uh, the, the, the gothic mystery. And they get to pretend at, at what it might be to be a man, to be a woman, um, to have sex, to have a baby. And in this particular story, the baby being something that, that comes between the man and the woman, there being conflicting loyalties, um, conflicting ways in which you have to be um, nurturing and and true as a mother compared to the demands on you as a heterosexual lover. And though these may be heavy questions along with the question of whether motherhood makes you happy, um, the question of mental health and depression and physical ailment and biological inheritance, uh, there's a mood of light melancholy cast through this film, which will carry you through if um, light melancholy is your thing. And uh, certainly it's Siama's thing, as we've seen in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But these two directors, Marta Mezaros and Celine Siama, are certainly strong visionaries who have both created bold films about motherhood and female friendship um, that dare to enter these more ambiguous areas where um, there isn't a, a straightforward link between um, being fertile and being happy um, or having sex and having a child and then caring for that child. Um, although I must say that uh, there were times when I was watching Petite Maman as a mother when I would watch this little girl um, being on her own, being on her own in the forest and then uh, and, and then making her way across a, a large body of water at the age of eight or another little girl packing her own things and thought, hmm, okay, well, that might that often has to happen in situations where um, your, your mother is differently abled or, or suffering from mental ill health. But the emotional and physical benign neglect, if you like, that the children are subjected to is never explained or grounded in psychological reality. And the film itself suggests that this is this is required, that there is some kind of emotional motor needed to take us with Nelly into 
the world where she meets her mother, which I think is I think it works very well as a as a whimsical what if you could meet your parent when they're younger. But in this case, it's suggested that Nellie needs to do this because of her mother's distance. However, the mother is fairly undeveloped, as is the father, and the father, mother, the grandmother, and the two children all speak in the same voice, um, the voice of the uh, enchanted sleepwalker. And I think it's more simply just a case of lacking differentiation between characters, which can happen when you have a um, the same person being the writer and director. Um, but as I said, I think the, the my hesitations and reservations around completely loving um, Petite Maman in the same way that other critics have done is because I do feel that there is this disjunct between the, the, the realism in which um, the, the roots of the film um, are, are laid in terms of maternal depression and, um, and, and, a, and a real marriage and, and its strain and potentially falling apart and the fairy tale. But I do question why an eight-year-old child should be so interested in the lives of her mother and grandmother, um, especially as um, Nellie takes the disappearance of her own mother um, very calmly in, in the film's quiet, monotonous stride. And a last point is that um, I do note, uh, we had an earlier uh, What Goddesses Watch on Memory Box. I do note directors in their um, 40s and 50s and older uh, creating these films now of uh, daughters wandering about stories about their their mothers and their aunts, which is a vein, of course, in in literature. And I question that. I, I understand the um, importance of putting forward our feminine histories or her stories, um, and speaking these speaking these stories and expressing these. Um, feelings and, and doing so in a bold cinematic fashion is something of course to be applauded but at the same time I find Mesoros's, um probings of the problematic underbelly of, uh, of a patriarchal construction which has pushed us into thinking that we need to be mothers in order to validate ourselves and we need to be certain types of mothers in order to validate ourselves. We need to be biological mothers um, or we need to be certain types of, of friends to each other to provide the constancy that heterosexual love with men cannot. This this all is, is, is underpinned by a construction of womanhood that, frankly, I just like to blow sky high. So with that thought, um, thank you for uh, listening and thinking um, about these ideas to do with strange mothers on another Watch Instead, What Goddesses Watch. And if you enjoyed that and you'd like to hear more multicultural feminist uh, film history that's truly inclusive, please join us as a member by going to patreon.com forward slash watch, or if you're listening on rss.com, hit the donate button now and you can contact us directly, tell us what films you'd like us to talk about, themes, um, get fabulous merch starring you as a goddess and so much more. 
This has been me, Soma Ghosh, for What Goddesses Watch, which is produced by me and audio produced by Quiva Lavelle, with music by Penelope Traps. 